I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Coronavirus edition. Okay, so last time I started talking all about antiquities and I got halfway through the set. So today I'm going to talk about the other half of the set, which turns out to be all artifacts and lands uh, because uh, the set is mostly artifacts uh, and there's a decent number of lands too. Okay, so where we left off was Clay Statue. So Clay Statue uh, costs four. Um, it is a 3-1. Um, now at the time, artifact creatures didn't have creature types. It's now a golem. Um, so it's two regenerate clay statues. So it's 3-1 uh, and you can regenerate it. Um, and if you read the, the, the flavor text, you learn that clay statue was made by Thanos, which is the uh, apprentice to Urza. Um, or on the flavor text, it calls him his assistant. Uh, anyway, uh, this was... So back in the day, regeneration was... In alpha, it showed up in green and red and black. Um, and so this was the first time that I guess if you're playing white or blue that you can have a uh, regenerating creature in your deck, uh, which was kind of cool. Uh, and I think Clay Statue, there, um, it was a little expensive at four mana, but there were a few decks that used to play them just because they could regenerate. So they were really, early magic, um, it was hard to kill regenerators. Um, I mean, I, that's why maybe we had a lot of spells that hose regenerators, but, um, actually it's kind of funny. I guess it wasn't that hard to kill them. All those things... Anyway, I guess regenerators actually weren't that hard. We hosed them all the time. Okay, next, Clockwork Avian. So Clockwork Avian is an artifact creature. It's a bird, although originally just uh, just an artifact creature. Zero four, flying. Um, Clockwork Avian enters the battlefield with four plus one plus zero counters on it. At the end of combat, a Clockwork Avian attacked or blocked this combat. Remove a plus one plus zero counter from it. X and tap. Put an X plus one plus zero counters on Clockwork Avian. The ability can't cause the total number of plus one plus one counters on Clockwork Avian to be greater than four. After the ability only during your upkeep. So, uh, Clockwork Beast was a card in Alpha that basically did exactly this, except instead of four counters, it had seven counters, seven plus one plus O counters, um, and it didn't have flying. So this was just a, 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 Clockwork Beast was very, very popular, so this was just making another version of it. Um, this is back in a time where we had all sorts of different power toughness altering counters, so this one's plus one plus zero. Uh, nowadays, um, we did, we mostly do plus one plus one, so, um, but Clockwork, uh, would have their toughness locked in and their power will go down over time. That's how the clockwork worked. Um, but anyway, this was a flying clockwork creature. Okay, next. Colossus of Sardia. Nine for an artifact creature, a golem. Nine, nine. Trample. Colossus of Sardia doesn't untap during your untap step. Nine. Untap Colossus of Sardia. Activate this ability only during your upkeep. Um, so anyway, uh, in... In Alpha, there was Lord of the Pit, which was a 7-7, and there was Force of Nature, which was an 8-8. And those were the two biggest creatures in Magic. Well, uh, the East Coast Playstretcher said, we're going to go one bigger. And there's a little game we played for a while where we kept one-upping ourselves. Um, like, there was a 10-10 in, um, was it an Ice Age? And then there was, oh, sorry, there was a 10-10 in the Dark and then 11-11 in Ice Age, and then a 12-12 in Mirage. Anyway, we kept one-upping ourselves. Um, the funny thing about this is uh, they were like, okay, we got to be careful. A 9-9 Trample, that's so dangerous. So they made it such that uh, you had to spend all the mana every turn. Like, once you could play it, then you had to spend all the mana every turn to untap it, uh, which made the card kind of sucky. But... Um, there's a card in Alpha called Instill Energy. And Instill Energy costs one green mana and lets you untap um, a creature every turn. And so the, the favorite story of Colossus Sardia 
was at the World Championship in 1995. Um, Sealed was kind of controversial. And so they ended up giving the players a whole bunch of whatever was the course at the time. I don't know if it was third or fourth edition. But anyway, that set had Colossus Asardia and Instill Energy and Channel. Channel lets you spend uh, two green mana and then you can convert life into colorless mana. And anyway, one of the players, uh, uh, Ivan Karina, I think was his name, is from Italy. He ended up making top eight at that event. Um, got Colossus Asardia, two Instill Energies and a Channel. And multiple games on turn one, um, or not turn one, I guess on turn, turn early on, he would, he was able to, uh, channel out of class of Sardia, put in still energy on it, which I think also gave it haste, attack for nine, and then attack for nine every turn with it, nine, nine trample. Um, but anyway, this definitely was, uh, big creatures were very exciting to players, even if they weren't particularly strong. This card without shenanigans was not particularly strong. Next, Coral Helm, an artifact that costs three. Three, discard a card at random, uh, and then target creature gets plus two, plus two, and will end of turn. Um, I think this might have been the first card that ever had you discard a card at random. Uh, there's a card in an Ice Age by the same designers. Uh, there's a powerful card in Ice Age that have you do it. This card, not not so powerful. Uh, Coral Helm is not th- that good a card. But uh, anyway, it was. it's neat when you look at the early sets they try things that hadn't been done before. I think that's kind of cool. Next, Curse Rack. So Curse Rack costs four artifact. As Curse Rack enters the battlefield, choose an opponent. That player's maximum hand size is four. Um, so what it did is it kept people from having more than a certain number of cards. Um, so uh, we'll get to the rack. The rack's also in here. Um, there's a card called Black Vice in Alpha that punished you for having more than a certain number of cards in your hand. Uh, oh, sorry, black. Yeah, punish you for having more, and then the rack, which we'll get to in a second, less. And the curse rack um, was uh, you get punished for having too few cards with the curse rack. So with the rack, so curse rack kind of helps you play. Like if you play curse rack and the rack together, all three of the cards, by the way, were done by Richard Thomas, artist Richard Thomas. And there's an artist, what we call a stuffy doll, and the stuffy doll shows up in all those. And then we in Time Spiral, we later made a card out of stuffy doll. Okay, next Dragon Engine. Uh, costs three. It's an artifact creature construct, one three. For two mana, it gets plus one plus zero. Oh. So this is basically a fire-breathing creature, except in an artifact. Uh, instead of a single red, it costs two mana. Um, the dragon engines actually play a giant in the story of the Brothers War. The dragon engines actually are much more powerful. Uh, I think they wanted them in the story, so they made it something that was simple. Uh, but they, it's funny that in the story, they represent much bigger creatures in, in, in the actual Brothers War. Okay, next up, Felden's Cane. Uh, Felden's Cane costs one artifact. Tap, exile Felden's Cane, shuffle your graveyard into your library. So the interesting thing is there's a card I'll get to that uh, mills cards, and this was an answer to it. So they they both let you mill people and gave you an answer to milling all in one thing. Um, interestingly, um, Felden's Cane was supposed to be Felden's Ice Cane, and it was an anagram of Don Felice, who was one of the designers on Mirage and Visions, um, who, the, 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 he's one of the original Alpha Playtesters, and uh, I think they, originally it was going to be a nod to Don, but then the art didn't like, look like it was made of ice, so they had to take ice off it, so it ended up, um, but Don would later, um, Delos Cone, I think maybe, was, um, 
Oh, goes. Oh, I see. Because Felden's ice cane, the Felden ice was part was Don Felice. Um, and so they made or made Delos cone, I think, which was Don Felice. Anyway, next, Golgothian Silex. Four artifact, one in tap. Each non-token permanent with a name originally printed in the Antiquities expansion is sacrificed by its controllers. Uh, originally, what it did is it destroyed all cards that had an Arabian Knight symbol on it. Um, meaning if you had a version that didn't have an Arabian Knight symbol, it wouldn't be destroyed. But now that we have the rule that all cards match their, um, match their English name, meaning if a card has the same name in English, all versions are the same in Oracle, uh, we now can't care about expansion symbols. So this just says, well, if it first showed up in Antiquities, it destroys it, which is all the cards from Antiquities, essentially. So, um, uh, and this, in the story, by the way, this is the device that, um... Um, Urza uses to end the war and it ended up causing the Ice Age, which would come later in Magic. Uh, Grapeshot Catapult. Uh, four artifact creature construct. Two, three. Tap. Grapeshot Catapult deals one damage to target creature with flying. So there was a card called Particle Source that was very popular. Uh, this was a top-down flavor. Like I have a little catapult so I can shoot little flyers. Ivory Tower. This was a powerful card. Uh, one, Artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain X life, where X is the number of cards in your hand, minus four. So the idea essentially is if you have five, six, or seven cards in your hand, or, or eight, uh, if you've drawn a card first, um, you can... Um, I, you would draw a card with Library of Alexandria. It was the trick. Um, but anyway, um, this was very powerful. It got restricted. Uh, it was um, Zach Dolan who won the very first uh, World Championship. Uh, his enemy, uh, his opponent, sorry, his opponent, uh, Bertrand Lestray, said that the one thing he couldn't beat was Ivory Tower plus Library of Alexandria, and the two, two out of three games, he got both of them out, and he won. Um, so, uh, uh, we did for a long time have a room in Wizards that was called Ivory Tower, where R&D had a lot of meetings. Um, we then moved some stuff around, so I don't think we have an Ivory Tower anymore, but we did for a long time. Jalem Tome. Uh, three, two and tap, draw a card, discard a card. So, Jalem Tome is named after Joel Elmick, who was one of the, one of the early, he was head designer, um, he was, I think, the second, well, Richard Kynan was head designer, and then for a little time, Glenn Elliott was head designer, and then Joel Mick was head designer, and then Bill Rose and me. Um, but anyway, uh, Jalem is kind of JLM, much like Embassy Tome is Michael, uh, Scott Elliott, which is Mike Elliott's Tome, and, um... Uh, the one for Mike, Michael Davis uh, uh, um, is uh, Michael Scott. Uh, what's uh, oh J, JMD Tome? James Michael Davis. Uh, JMD Tome, which was an alpha. So it became a thing to name tomes after designers. Okay, the Might Stone. This played a big part. So uh, cost four artifact attacking creatures get plus one plus zero. Oh. Um, there was the Might Stone and the Weak Stone, and like the stone cracked in half, and Urza got the Might Stone, and uh, Mishra got the Weak Stone, so they both show up here. Neither one of them, for how powerful and important they are in the story, they're definitely kind of weak in uh, in the set. Next, a classic card, Millstone. Two, cost two, artifact, two and tap, target player mills two cards. So this is the first card in Magic that mills cards. Uh, the term milling comes from this card, Millstone. Um... And uh, this was something... Richard, when he made the game, had a win condition that was running out of cards. And there was ways to stall and win because your opponent ran out of cards. Uh, Charlie Catino made a deck that, like, slowly exiled every card and then um, took advantage of that. But anyway, um, Millstone was very, very popular. Inspired a whole mechanic, basically. I mean, we, we do milling all the time now. Um, but Millstone was the first card that did milling. 
uh, and uh, a very popular card. Next up, Mishra's War Machine. So Mishra's War Machine, seven, artifact creature, juggernaut, five, five, head banding. At the beginning of your upkeep, Mishra's War Machine deals three damage to you unless you discard a card. If Mishra's War Machine deals damage to you this way, tap it. So uh, interestingly, there's a card called, um, what is it called? Uh, it, it's a uh, Masticor. Uh, I liked Mishra's War Machine, but it was just really sucky. It was bad. It wasn't very good. Um, and I, someone said to me the reason it was bad was that you had to discard a card every upkeep. The, a card couldn't be good if you had to discard a card every upkeep. I'm like, challenge accepted. Uh, and I made Masticor. So um, uh, Mishra's War Machine is one of those cards I really liked. It just it, it had a little bit too much of a negative to it. Obelisk of Undoing costs one. Six and tap. Return target permanent. You both own a control to your hand. Uh, this is one of the cards that I, I loved what it was trying to do. I like the idea of figuring why you'd want to bounce your own stuff to your hand. But six, man, oh, holy moly. That's just a little bit too much. Uh, I loved the concept of this card. Uh, next, Onulet. So Onulet is an artifact creature. It costs three. Two, two artifact creature. Uh, it's a construct. When Onulet dies, you gain two life. Uh, the card was supposed to be called Onulets because it's an anagram of Soulnet, which is uh, something that gained you life when creatures died in Elf, I believe. Uh, but only one creature ended up in the art, so they had to change the name, so it was no longer an anagram. But um, uh, this card saw a little bit of play in some combo decks that needed the life gain. Ah, Ornithopter costs zero. Artifact creature, Thopter, zero two, and it's flying. Uh, this, this card was uber popular. Uh, it's not nearly as strong as you might think. I know it's a zero mana creature, uh, but uh, it, it's it's always been a, a fan favorite. It's, it's shown up a bunch of times. We always make fun of, like, somehow every world invents the Ornithopter. Um, Primal Clay. Um, Primal Clay costs four. It's an artifact creature, a shapeshifter, star, star. As Primal Clay enters the battlefield, it becomes your choice of a 3-3 artifact creature, a 2-2 artifact creature with flying, or a 1-6 wall artifact creature with defender in addition to its types. Um, I, I like this card a lot. This card was a lot of fun. Um, I just liked the idea that you just had options and choices. Uh, and I loved... Um, I used to make the puzzles... I loved having, I loved goofing around this card where like you'd be in one state, but you had to somehow get rid of it so you could recast and then get it back so you could recast it in a different state. Uh, this was a really fun card and had a lot of neat, a lot of neat interactions. I'm really a big fan of uh, Primal Clay. Uh, next we have Rackalite. Um, so Rackalite um, costs six mana. It's an artifact. To prevent the next one damage to be dealt to any target this turn, return Rackalite to its owner's hand in the beginning of the next end step. So the idea that they were messing around with here is you play it, put it out, you can prevent a whole bunch of damage at once, but then you have to recast it. Um, some of the, this, some of the, because this product was made real fast, there's cards like Rackalite where the concept's really cool and it's so, so, so weak. It just really never sees any play. Um, but it's a cool concept. It just was, was very weak. Next, Rocket Launcher. I played a lot of Rocket Launcher. Rocket Launcher costs four mana for an artifact. Two, Rocket Launcher deals one damage to any target. Destroy Rocket Launcher at the end of the next end step. Activate this ability only if you control Rocket Launcher continuously since the beginning of your most recent turn. So the idea is uh, you can use this multiple times, but once you use it, it's going to go away. This is a lot like the um, Rocket Light I just talked about that does damage. This card was a little bit better. Still... Still could have been a little cheaper, but uh, um, 
you would play it out and you could sort of do a lot of damage in one turn. Um, I there are some cards you can combo with this with that it, it got a little bit better. Um, but I, I, I played a lot of it. It wasn't that strong a card, but I did play a lot of it. Shapeshifters, next one. Six mana, artifact creature, shapeshifter. Star, seven minus star. If you ever want to do some trivia questions, what creature is star, seven minus star? Uh, if shapeshifter enters the battlefield, choose a number between zero and seven. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may choose a number between zero and seven, so you could keep changing the shape. Shapeshifter's power is equal to the last chosen number, and its toughness is equal to seven minus that number. So the idea is, you can make this a 6-1, a 5-2, a 4-3, a 3-4, um, a 2-5, a 1-6, or a 0-7. Technically, you could make it a 7-0 if you had some way to keep it alive. Um, this card was a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool things you could do with it. This was another card that I made a lot of puzzles with just because you could do weird and wacky things with it, but it was a fun card. Um, and I really was a big fan of shapeshifters, and cards like this really only made me further like shapeshifters. Staff of Zegon, four artifact, three and tap. Target creature gets minus two, minus O oh, until end of turn. Um, this is a ability uh, we do in blue nowadays, but this was, the, I think, the first time shrinking, this is what we call shrinking. I think this is the first time shrinking showed up. I think this is the first set to do that. Next, Suchi, uh, four artifact creature construct. When Suchi dies, add four colors mana. It's a four, four. So it's a four, four for four mana. Then when it dies, you get four, four, four mana. Uh, this card was a little. In when it was printed, mana, uh, mana, uh, mana burn existed. Mana burn was you took damage for every mana that you hadn't spent when the turn or phase ended, uh, when the phase or step ended. And um, this often would burn you. The idea that it was a negative, like it would die in combat. Do you have ways to spend colorless mana in combat? If not, you would take damage. So it was meant to be a drawback. Nowadays, since you don't have mana burn, it's all upside. Um, so. It's a pretty good creature. I think Sue and Chi are both mean four in different versions of Chinese, different, like, languages of Chinese, I think. Okay, next, Tablet of Epitier. Uh, it costs one. It's an artifact. Whenever an artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may pay one if you do gain one life. Uh, this is just soul net for artifacts. Like I said in the last podcast, there's a lot of us... Um, the, the, they took a lot of cards that existed that people liked and just made artifact versions. Next, Taunus's Coffin costs four artifact. You may choose not to untap Taunus's Coffin during your untap step. Three and tap, exile target creature and all auras attached to it. Note the number and kind of counters that were on that creature. When Taunus's Coffin leaves the battlefield or becomes untapped, return the exile card to the battlefield under its owner's control, tap with the noted number and kind of counters on it. If you do, return the other exile cards to the battlefield under the owner's control attached to that permanent. So this was a really cool card, and it's the first kind of one. Um, there were cards that exiled, but I think this is the first card that exiled things temporarily and brought them back. And the idea of this card, not just exile, but any aura that was on it or counters on it, was, was it was trying to keep all those things on you. Um, later on, after this set, like uh, Mirage would introduce phasing that messed around that space uh, where it sort of kept them together. This one had to sort of spell it out, which is not, uh, it makes it quite wordy. Um, but this was a fun card. I did a lot of a lot of cool stuff with this card. I really enjoyed Taunus's Coffin. Um, and once again, Taunus was the apprentice to Urza. In the story, uh, he realizes that Urza's going to do something disastrous. He tucks him, say, in this coffin to protect himself. And then he survives the Cygolium, the blast of the, um, the Silex. So, um, anyway, he was tucked away in his coffin. Uh, next, Taunus's Wand. Uh, two, uh, so it costs four mana, artifact, two and tap, target creature with power two or less, can't be blocked this turn. 
Uh, there's a card in Alpha called Dwarven Warriors. This was just an artifact version of Dwarven Warriors, once again. Uh, because an artifact, it was worse, so you had to pay two mana, where, like, dwarves you can just tap. Now, given, you couldn't destroy with creature with creature removal, so it was better in that way. Taunus' Weaponry, two, artifact. You may choose not to untap Taunus' Weaponry during your untap step. Two untap. Target creature gets plus one, plus one for as long as Taunus' Weaponry remains tapped. This is basically the sword. Like, we finally made a sword, made equipment. This is, like, basically a sword. Um, interestingly, Ash Nods, her version of this does plus two, minus two, where Taunus is just a plus one, plus one. But this is another example of the proto equipment. Okay, Tetravis, another popular card. Six, artifact creature construct. It's a one, one, flying. Tetravis enters the battlefield with three plus one, plus one counters on it, so it starts as a four, four. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may remove any number of plus one, plus one counters from Tetravis. If you do, create that many one, one, colorless, tetrified artifact creature tokens. They each have flying and this creature can't be enchanted. Not sure why that rider's on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile any number of tokens created with Tetravis if you do put that many plus one, plus one counters on Tetravis. So the idea was the little counters on him could come off and become one, one creature, flying creatures or could stay on him. I don't know why they had that weird rider that can't be enchanted. There was something they were worried about, but I'm not sure what it was. Um, and anyway, uh, this was another pr- pretty popular card. Tetravis saw a lot of play. But even more popular... Oh, I'll get to it in a second. Uh, next is the Rack. Um, the Rack, it costs one mana artifact. As the Rack enters the battlefield, choose an opponent. At the beginning of the chosen player's upkeep, the Rack deals X damage to that player, where X is three minus the number of cards in their hand. This is the Mirror of the Black Vice that was in Alpha. Black, Black Vice did, um, if they had, uh, four or more cards did damage, this is three or less. Or it might have been five or more. So I guess at four, you uh, you, don't, you don't suffer the vice or the rack. But this is the mirror of the rack. Uh, the rack was played a lot in discard decks because you would force them to discard. And then the rack would be the way you won because it would punish them for not having a lot of cards in your hand. If their hand's empty, for example, they do, it does three damage a turn. Triskelion, another very popular creature type, uh, artifact creature. Uh, artifact creature construct, one, one, cost six. Triskelion enters the battlefield with three plus one counters on it. Remove a plus one counter from Triskelion and it deals one damage to any target. So for six mana, you get a 4-4, four, four, but you can ping things for free. Uh, and this card saw a lot of play. There's a lot, I, I made a lot of decks with it. You, one of the fun things to do with it is you use the counters, and then you get back to your hand and can recast and stuff like that, or you, you can um, flicker and do, do cool stuff. Okay, next, Urza's Avenger. Costs six. It's an artifact creature shapeshifter. Zero colon. Urza's Avenger gets minus one, minus one. It's a 4-4 four, four creature. And gains your choice of banding, flying, first striker, trample to end of turn. Um, and then it has lots of minor tricks telling you what all those things are. Um, so this was a really cool card. The idea that you could sort of shrink it, but to gain abilities. But so it could have one ability to be a three, three or two abilities to be a two, two or three abilities to be a one, one. Um, it was neat. It's a really cool card. This one, one of the, like I said, a lot, there's a lot of stuff that the, uh, designers of the set did where they were mirroring popular cards that preexisted. But there's cards like this that really were templates that we, Urza Avengers has inspired a lot of cards for messing in this space. And this was the first card that really did that. Okay, next we get to the Urza cards. Um, oh, well, Urza's Avenger was the first Urza's card. But, uh, Urza's Chalice, uh, costs one mana. Whenever a player casts an artifact spell, you may pay one. If you do, gain one life. Uh, so this was, um, we have what we call the Lucky Charms. This is the artifact version of the Lucky Charms, where uh, when you play a color, you gain a life. Here, you, when you play an artifact, you gain a life. Urza's Mitre, three, artifact. Whenever an artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, if it wasn't sacrificed, you may pay three if you do draw a card. So this card rewards you, uh, or allows you to draw cards whenever an artifact dies. So you have to pay three to get it, I think. Um, 
Whenever artifact you control is permanently grave for a battlefield, if it wasn't sacrificed... Oh, I see. You can't... Uh, if you use the artifact for sacrifice, you can't also get get the off of it. Um, but when things died, it allows you to, to, to draw. Next, Wall of Spears. So Wall of Spears costs three mana, uh, was a 2-3 with Defender as a wall, and it had a first strike. Uh, and this card definitely showed up in some early metagames where it was a good answer to, like, Mishra's Factories, I think. Um... Next is the weak stone, so it goes with the uh, so uh, it's cost four mana. Attack creatures get minus one minus zero. So um, the other one made all attacking creatures stronger. This one made all attacking creatures weaker. Note both of them affected all attacking creatures, not just your attacking creatures or your opponent's attacking creatures. Neither one really was good enough to play, which is a little bit sad since, like I said, in the story they're they're very potent. Yoshin Soldier, oh, t- talk about answers to uh, uh, Mitra's Factory. Yoshin Soldier, actually, not just Mitra's Factory, there are these 2-1 Pump Knights that people play... Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yoshin Soldier costs 3, Artifact Creature Soldier. It's a 1-4 with Vigilance. Um, uh, Fallen Empires had this card called Pump Knights that were 2-mana, two 2-1s, two that you could activate to pump their power or give them First Strike, and they were very good, and Yoshin Soldier was a great answer to them. Uh, and Yoshin Soldier saw a bunch of play. Um, I think Urza made those. Okay, now we get to the lands. First up, Urza's Factory. So it's a land. It taps for colorless. One in colon. Misha's Factory becomes a 2-2 Assembly Worker Artifact Creature until end of turn. It's still a land. Tap. Target Assembly Worker Creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Ah, oh, Misha's Factory. These were so much fun. I I played a lot of Misha's Factories, as did most people playing at the time. They were very potent. They, they, they gave you mana, but you then could turn into creatures, so they were a win condition. You could tap them to make each other bigger. And one of the fun things, for those who don't know this... Uh, if you have a Mishra's Factory and they attack with a 2-2 creature, you can activate your Mishra's Factory, block it, then tap to give itself plus 1, plus 1, so it's a 3-3. Three, three. Um, so anyway, uh, a little Mishra's Factory. Uh, so Mishra's Factory, there were four versions of it. Um, there was uh, there were four seasons. So there were summer, spring, fall, and winter. I think the winter one, three of them were common and one of them was uncommon. So the winter one showed up a lot less. Um... Also, this card got reprinted in a basic set, and the only... I forget which one they used. They used the Summer of Spring, I think. So anyway, only one art was used in that. So anyway, uh, some of the alternate arts are a little harder to come by, although because um, Beach Factor was in a core set, it, it's not as hard to get by as other um, Antiquities cards. Next up, Mishra's Workshop. Uh, it's a land. Tap, add um, three colorless mana. Spend this mana only to cast artifacts. This card... Uh, there are vintage decks built up. Misha's Workshop is is a super powerful card. Um, uh, I it's a, one of those cards we always talk about. Like, is it something we're supposed to restrict because it's uh, super powerful? But it also supports uh, it does a lot of uh, work of supporting certain decks. Um, and we used to have a room in Wizards called Misha's Workshop where we did a lot of work, um, which w- was fun. Uh, but anyway, that's a super powerful card. Then we get to Strip Mine. Uh, so Strip Mine is. Uh, uh, taps for colorless, tap, sacrifice it, destroy target land. This was mega powerful. Uh, I would spend many years trying to make better strip mines that were still too good. Like Wasteland was me trying to make a, a fixed strip mine that was still too good. Uh, this card was not fun. It got banned. Uh, it really... Oh, I have bad memories of strip mine. I mean, it was very powerful. Also, it had four pieces of art just like um, Misha's Workshop did. Or not Misha's Workshop, Misha's Factory did. Um, uh, one of them was uncommon and three of them were common. Um, okay, now we get to the Urzatron, which were the final, uh, three cards in the set. Uh, okay, so Urza's Mine was, uh, a land, tap, add colorless, 
If you control an Urza's power plant and Urza's tower, add two colors instead. Um, Urza's power plant said the same thing, tap for colors. If you control Urza's mind, Urza's tower, add two colors instead. And Urza's tower said, tap for colorless. If you control Urza's mind, Urza's power plant, add three mana instead. So if you had an Urza's mine, an Urza's power plant, and an Urza's tower together, they tap for seven mana. Uh, there's a card in um, Time Spiral uh, that's an Urza card that uh, it's making reference to this, and then it, for seven mana, it lets you do something. Uh, there's also a card in Time Spiral, by the way, that's... Um, that is an assembly worker that's a 2-2 creature that can tap, which is making reference to Misha's factory. Um, uh, this was called the Urzatron. Uh, this is a this three site this three land cycle is quite powerful and has definitely shown up uh, in many formats. Oh, the one thing I forgot, by the way, for those who are uh, care about the Tonerous Weaponry, the thing that was plus one plus one, this the pseudo um, equipment. Uh, there were two versions of it. We printed one that had the gray uh, behind the two in the cost. And I think there was one where the, the gray wasn't there. It was a misprint. Um, so if you're really into collecting, there's a hundred different versions of cards, including the alternate art. But if you are a uber collector, there's 101 because there's two different versions of, of Taunus's weaponry. That that problem happened in, in Arabian Nights in a much larger volume. There's like 14 cards in Arabian Nights that, that the mana symbol is a different between two versions of the card. It only happened once here. I'm not sure why it happened on Tarnish's Weaponry, but my guess is it appeared multiple times on the sheet and one of them just, they misprinted how they printed it. It's my guess how that happened. Um, but anyway, that, my friends, in two podcasts is Antiquities. Um, I really, really liked Antiquities. Like I said, first set to really have a mechanical theme, first set to... to do milling and do a like as I talked to. There's a lot of things that happened for the first time here. It was a really fun set. It was very flavorful. It really encouraged all sorts of decks. There are a lot of powerful cards in this set, some of which got restricted. Um, but anyway, Antiquities. Looking back, like I said, this was Magic's second ever expansion. I think it did a great job of really being a fun set. Um, when it came out, by the way, uh, it got it got. There were people that did not like Antiquities. I loved Antiquities, but I did a lot of defending it. Um, there was a period in time where people thought it was the worst magic set. Um, but I think part, part of that was they really didn't recognize some of the power in the set. There are some very powerful cards in the set. I think with history looking back, people can go, oh, wow, yeah, there's a lot of very powerful things. But at the time, people didn't recognize that. And so, uh, there were people who, who picked on it. But I defended it. I always liked Antiquities. So anyway, guys, um, I can see my desk. So we all know that means. This means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I hope you guys liked my uh, two podcast uh, um, stroll through antiquities. Uh, but anyway, guys, it's time for me to go. So I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.